In this episode of The Ziggler Show, our focus is joy. Truly, literally, manufacturing joy. I mean, if you want big biceps, you work them out consistently, right? Simple math. Well, so is creating joy. Happiness is momentary and based on circumstances, but joy is enduring and provides peace and calm regardless of the environmental pressures. I fear most of our culture has given up on joy and has acquiesced to merely seeking momentary pleasures and happiness like the next social media scroll or Netflix show or food or drink. But you are here because you want more. Me too. And so I'm bringing us an expert, Shanti Feldhahn. She's a best-selling author and social researcher. A keyword there is researcher for me. She's my guru on kindness, and I refer to her constantly. I had her on this show four years ago to talk about the research she did for her book, The Kindness challenge. There are few people I refer to on shows as much as Shanti Feldhahn. She's now turned her focus to joy and she wrote a daily devotional called Finding Joy. But in just a moment, you're going to hear us really set aside my intended discussion format as Shanti wanted to share her latest research since the book came out on what she and her team discovered is the number one destroyer of joy in our culture today. I mean, you really, really want to hear this because what you're going to find is we're all doing it to some degree. We are engaging every day with this number one inhibitor of joy. And it's something we can take action on and stop immediately. You can connect more with Shanti at Shanti.com. That's S-H-A-U-N-T-I.com. Welcome everyone. I'm Kevin Miller. I host three podcasts where we have candid discussions regarding the root issues of personal change and growth. This is The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. Zig Ziggler is famous for his be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person first. Then you must do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life. Here we focus on you being the right kind of person to have the success you desire. In my other podcast, What Drives You?, We talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them, good and bad. And we dig into the very motives that drive us all with the goal of being able to clarify just what is driving you. Then my True Life podcast. It's aimed at getting you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. If you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit Ziggler.com and connect with Tom Ziggler and the Ziggler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance. And a quick thanks now to some show sponsors, then we'll dive in with Shanti Feldhahn. Shawnee, I've got to do an intro here because you don't know this. We did a show almost four years uh, to today's date, and it was on your kindness challenge. I don't know that a week has gone by. I shouldn't say that. A month. Let's see. There's so often in shows where I use you as a reference in regards to kindness and even to other aspects of psychology and whatnot to kindness being something that you do for some, you know, you do towards someone else, but the main beneficiary is you. That relates to so many things. I hope that I've helped sell a million books. I appreciate that so much. Well, I honestly, and and I don't, I don't mind, uh, I don't mind flattery uh, here towards you because I just is, there's a handful. If I look at the reality of how uh, books that I resource, people that I resource, 
it's just amazing that how often you come up in that. I just talked about you on a show that I recorded with Tom Ziegler, uh, who is also a big Do fan. I so, love? Yeah. Well, so I just want to, I, I want to thank you. I come back to that so often. We talk about it in my family. It's just such a great oh, reference point. Well, thank you. So obviously great to have you on here to talk about all of your research. You know, since then you've had uh, multiple books that I'll have talked about in the intro, but this aspect of joy. Uh, and as I said in the intro and everybody just heard, I also lately come to this topic of diseases of despair. And we know that we have a culture, you know it better than I do, that is waning in inspiration and in joy. And thus, yeah. well, even on that, I'll ask that. What was the, was there a specific catalyst for you to say, I, we need to have a, a, we need to make this, you need, you're going to make this a focus of your research and put a book out there on joy specifically. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you referenced the kindness challenge, because that was actually the start of a completely different element of our organization and the research that we've done. Because we saw, it's interesting, I like the phrase diseases of despair. I might have to credit you and borrow that, Kevin, because we, because we were seeing that so much of the lack of human thriving which is what we're focused on, right? How to help you thrive in your life and in your relationships. So much of that was focused on how you're treating others, what your perspective is like, what your attitude is like. And seeing it be, be very, very directly related, even physiologically related to whether you're thriving. And so there was clearly a lot more work to be done. Um, and, you know, just maybe taking a glance at Twitter and Facebook um, made it really obvious that there was a lot of work to be done. So that's really one of the things that catalyzed all of this. Well, and that's what I, that's why I want to dig in here because that, so that disease is spared. So if we look at chronic illness and disease in America, which continues to rise at a you know catastrophic rate, that is one of the fastest growing areas is, is, is diseases of despair, which, you know, are the, and that as far as deaths of despair, you look at that and they're talking about deaths from, you know, alcohol and drugs and suicide. But of course, as you know, those are just symptomatic. Those are medications for yeah. people who are over here, not having much joy. And it was, I don't know how long ago I had Dan Harris. Do you remember him? He was an ABC, mm -hmm. I think news guy who had a panic attack on air and yep. he wrote the book. And now as a podcast, a top ranked podcast called 10% Happier. And that kind of tuned me into that happy, the amount of books with the term happy in them. And if you type in happiness, you know, online, and I, I look at happiness as kind of fleeting and I like the term joy. So again, here you yeah. come out with this devotion, but on joy, but I know the devotion is a result of your own research. And I actually wanted to ask the question, just kind of a 10,000 foot question right now, here we are still at the, well, I want to say the end, but who knows, you know, this pandemic and that's changed so many things. What right now are you seeing out there in the culture is a primary, if I could say thief of people's joy? Um, we actually have found, believe it or not, a, at least one of the major factors and it is having, there's, there's a, a sort of a phasing here, but it's having expectations that aren't being met and expressing discontent about it. Wow. If you, if you want to sort of boil a lot of things down to what is it that steals a lot of people's joy, 
if you look at all the different factors, of which there are obviously many, <laughs> a lot of it narrows down and narrows down and narrows down to the one factor of expressing discontent. Okay, Literally, so... Literally, as you express discontent, it grows. Okay, so let's start off with expectations. So you're saying it starts sure. off with expectations. Yes. So is it fair? We see so much. I always want to say we, but I mean, I'm obviously studying this stuff like you do. So I don't know if everybody listening feels like that, but I feel like we are seeing, at least in personal development and whatnot, so much content about social media, about our, even if I say screen time and our entertainment. Yeah. And when we look at you know, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and the ones that I can't even keep up with anymore. But we all are showcasing the happy face. We hear that a lot. People are showcasing the highlight reel. Is that a primary culprit of the expectations? You know, it's easy to think that it is. Okay. And I'm sure it has an element of that. There's no way around that. How could it not? <laughs> right? But I think there's something more fundamental okay. under the surface at, that is building on that, or that I should say that that is building on and that is we, there is something weird in all of us where a lot of us expect a happy life with no trouble. Like we sort of just think that's the way it should be and we get angry when it's not, as opposed to, you know, before the show, you and I were talking about one of the things we've seen in our research since the book came out. Right. And one of the factors that's a huge deal is basically expecting that the storms are going to come, like that that's just going to happen and that that's okay. That's what life is going to deliver to you. There are going to be those things. It changes whether you're thrown, um, whether when you expect that. There's do you actually do you mind? There's a great story in the Bible to me that relates to this. Like I, I found this so interesting. Um, there is there is actually a scene that some people who are people of faith who may have read some of the biblical stories may be familiar with, where Jesus and his disciples are in a boat and it almost gets swamped in a storm. And the Bible, the, the disciples are freaking out and they're like, don't you care about us? And, and Jesus is like asleep. Yeah, you get this feeling. He's just kind of nonchalantly <laughs> hanging out. Kind of chilling. Yeah. Yeah. And the disciples are like, whoa. There's actually a really interesting backstory to that. Because he, of course, ends up rebuking the storm and telling the disciples, like, don't you have any, don't you have any faith? But the backstory is something that we miss, and it's crucial, which is that this happened at the end of a very long day where Jesus was out, you know, doing his thing, preaching, you know, actually the the crowds were so big that he had to get into a boat and teach from the boat right. because there were so many people crowding him. So this was that day. And it says at the end of the day, they decided to cross over, which was the Sea of Galilee, to the other side. And so there, it's at nighttime when this is happening. The topography of the area, it was extremely common that these really violent storms would come up and come up really fast. And it would be fatal, like, you know, it would overturn the boats and like you would just never get in a boat at that time of night ever. Like you wouldn't do it. These were fishermen <laughs> who were the they should have known better. Huh? Like, well, of course they knew better. They they absolutely knew you just don't do this. But they were with Jesus. Hmm. So my guess is the assumption is, well, with Jesus. So nothing bad is going to happen. 
And how often do we make the same assumption? Like, it's supposed to go well for me. And we are promised good things. And many, there are many blessings in our lives. But there's this weird feeling that we have that nothing, if we're with Jesus, nothing bad is going to happen. Or that just in my life, these things should all go well. When in fact, we're promised blessings and we're almost also promised trouble, candidly. I mean, that's actually one of the phrases in the Bible. Like, in this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> but take heart, I've overcome the world. And the, the, the key lesson for me from that whole story and that realization of, whoa, we do the same thing, I think, that the disciples were doing is realizing that we want to have a sense of peace and joy and we try to do it by taking away the storms. Yeah. And instead, what we're called to do and what we need to learn how to do is how to find a sense of peace and joy in the storm so that what we really have, you talked about happiness being kind of fleeting, momentary. It's true. And joy really true joy, it cannot and should not depend on our circumstances. How do we do that? That's what we're called to do. That's what all of us want. How does that happen? So that was the starting point for all of this for me. Well, so to your expectations, I have found myself, I actually did a show and I don't have it up in front of me. It was one of the episodes of my Motive podcast talking about how we should, we'd be better off to expect those storms, which sounds pessimistic. Exactly. But no. to look at that, well, so let's go back to the Bible. And it was during a low point, Shanti, a, a valley in my life. And mm. I got enamored with the story of Moses as a comfort, because here's this guy called by God. He didn't even want to do it. And God's saying, no, I've got this for you. So he goes forward. And what happens right away with the Red Sea? I mean, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. God says, hey, come this direction. And oh, there's a roadblock, an insurmountable. Oh, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not, we're not talking a speed bump. It, it's an insurmountable. It's a red ocean. You guys are dead. And I'm thinking that that's the most illogical. And, and you, how could you not look at that and go, I must have heard God wrong. I mean, that is, yeah. I, 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 and I get upset when we poke fun at that because I, I get it. I get it, you know, to go forward. And the first thing you do is doubt yourself. But I found great comfort in the reality of they had trial after trial. Now, and, and again, bigger ones. We have no food. We're going to die. We have no, we have no yeah. water. We have, you know, an, an on and on and just facing around it helped me come back and go, okay, that, like you said, the trial is supposed to come just because God's in there. And to some degree, if we look at the biblical context, it's saying, as you pursue the Lord, you may have more. You're probably going to, that's persecution. It's going to be even yeah. worse, which, but then you don't want to embrace that, that it's just going to be, yeah, come over here, be well, a Christian. It's going to suck. <laughs> well, that's the, whole, that's the whole reason why I, I believe, and now this is me as a person of faith. Someone who's not a person of faith may see this a little bit differently, but you know, I believe we're called, we're actively called to find joy no matter our circumstances. There's a lot in the Bible, for example, on this. And I know in other faiths they have something similar. But, you know, for me as a Christian, um, looking at what it says, I realize 
it's not just, oh, this is a nice mental exercise that people are supposed to go through. It's like, no, it's because we're supposed to have a life that is abundant, yeah. right? The joy is supposed to be the characteristic of the Christian. <laughs> that is what is supposed to be one of the most obvious things to the world. You know, always stand ready to give an answer for the hope that's within you, that you're supposed to be a light to the world. You're supposed to be a city on a hill. You're supposed to be a light, you know, that shines in the darkness instead of having the light be snuffed out or put under a basket right. or whatever. There's all these illustrations of where that joy is supposed to just kind of define us. And I think all of us want that and God wants that for us. That's you know, he doesn't, even though we're living in a troubled world, we're living in a dark time, we're living in a, a time of great discord, for example, but it's not supposed to steal our joy. And that's, to me, the starting point of, it's not just a nice mental exercise because, hey, we're told to do it and we'll find out at some point why. No, <laughs> it's because okay. he wants us to have a joyful life. <laughs> okay, well then to your research, can you... So Donald Miller, I appreciate his, I'm a fan of him. I'm a fan of his book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And he talks about what makes a great story. And it's a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. And he plays with that. Without the conflict, it's just not a good story. And this came up a couple of times recently, once with my kids and once with a, a couple guys that I work with of kind of the concept of it. Would you rather have 10 million bucks plopped in your bank at the end of the year? Or would you rather have 10 million bucks at the end of the year that you worked for and earned? Well, most of us, at least adults who have, who have overcome things go, I want to earn it. I, I want to, I don't want yeah. it just to show up. I want to, I want to earn that. And so to that, to not have the conflict, can you really have joy without having overcome conflict? Uh, you know what? Never thought of it that way, and I don't think you can. I, I think you're right. It, it's not something that is a, um, it's not a, the same thing if it is on its own in a vacuum. The, the context that I realized, again, coming from perspective of a, a person of faith, <laughs> the context I realized that we're supposed to live in is almost like Christmas. You know, okay, you know how um, for many of us, now this isn't going to be everybody who's listening to this, but for many of us, Christmas is just kind of a magical season, right? Like it's, there's, it's joy in the molecules of the air. Like it just feels. I, no, I read your part about that. Okay. And, and absolutely. For me, a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's what we're supposed, that sense of wonder, that's what we're supposed to live in all year long, despite the fact that this is a time of darkness and despite the fact that there's a lot of things that go wrong and despite the fact that there's health challenges and financial challenges and division and worries about your kids and all you know all the normal stuff that happens in life we're still supposed to live in that sort of underlying christmas sense Right. I'm probably not explaining that very well, no, but no, I don't no. think you can without living in a time when there's without living in the darkness. I think having that is what makes it real. So it's a really great point, Kevin. 
You are listening to The Ziggler Show and this episode on joy with Shanti Feldhahn. Again, connect with her at Shanti.com, S-H-A-U-N-T-I.com. Next, I ask her about joy having to be earned by trial. Here then are some great show sponsors who have helped bring this episode to you. Well, let me ask, let me dig further into it. Cause as you're thinking about it, so as a kid, so I've got, you know, I've still got little kids and it's easy for them to, you know, have a, a new show on TV or we go for a hike or go up to the treehouse and they're happy, you know, momentary happiness back to, <laughs> yeah. back to that. Can they have, okay. No, cause to something you said, I'm almost wondering, talk about getting into faith-based doctrine of, you know, works and grace and whatever, <laughs> but is joy, can it only be to an aspect of earned? Because if I look at the most joyful people I know, they are the people who have come out on the other side of significant trauma for the most of them, who had the most yeah. joy and peace. And over here, I see those people that can, to me, I'm, I'm in this camp somewhat, no big, huge traumas. Yeah. And everything, you know, to, to not having overcome much, can I really have as much joy as somebody who has seen the depths and seen the valleys and then overcome those there? I just had somebody on who, you know, overcame cancer Man, she yeah. knows joy and joy being earned. What do you think? You know, it's an interesting question. I have to think about the word earn. I know it's a sketchy word. It's a sketchy word, but it's not it's not necessarily a bad concept, but but I think what you're describing is growth and maturity, right? Yeah. There are things that I know and understand at a much deeper level than my 18-year-old son because he's 18. He hasn't encountered all these different things. And each time that I encounter something different and I go, okay, add it to the mental toolbox, you grow or not, depending on, you know, kind of where you are and how you allow that to shape you. But I I do think, honestly, there is something to the fact of as you go through whatever your challenges are, because they are going to be different across all people, all of us unique, God allows different things in our lives. We all have a package of stuff, Right. Right. Whatever your package is, whatever comes to you in your life, that is another opportunity. It's like another step. Okay, you took you took um, kind of piece 101. Well, now we're going to go to piece 312. Yeah. (laughs) Now we're going to go to the graduate level course on that. And you and you are supposed to learn that and absorb it well again not because it's like a kind of a mental exercise but because a i think god wants good things for his children even in a difficult world and b because the whole point of us being here is about him right like what are his purposes for us and he's asking us to become these navy seals basically to become these special forces operatives that are able to navigate the a dark world and really truly try to advance the kingdom yeah. in in a difficult time so you have to have learned some of those lessons to some degree to have done that well and so back yeah to the you say in the word lessons as i think about the things that i have the trials i've endured and overcome have increased my faith yeah 
I don't know how much joy I would have without that, without that faith in, in, in people, again, depending on where they are from a spiritual standpoint, faith that things will work out, faith in uh, their own abilities. Now, I'm going to say a faith in uh, that it's not all up to me, that there is a higher power um, there, but, but to some degree, a, a faith. That yeah. that's what, so as opposed to the earned, that it's the fruit of, we say that. <laughs> it is. I like that. Well, it's that, and I, forgive me, I don't know the Bible as well as many, many other people, but there's a great verse and I don't know which one it is, but suffering produces endurance. Yeah. Endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope doesn't disappoint us because of the love poured out in Jesus. And that, that is the pathway that you're talking about. Well, okay. So back to expectations. So we're saying yeah. the expectations deficit of joy, if we can say is, is due to these expectations of good things without trial, which Correct. we have no precedent for. We don't want back to the Donald Miller story. We don't want to watch the movie of somebody who accomplishes something with absolutely nothing to overcome. That's boring. And there's no valor in that. We want that. So if my expectation is for something above the norm, then by proxy, I'm going to expect and welcome maybe a hard word, but to welcome the trial that, hey, I'm, I'm, if I'm doing something of value, uh, it's yeah. going to have trial with it. So if I can change my expectation. The, yeah. And the key, again, the key isn't like you're not being masochistic. Yeah, bring it on. Right. Like the key is there will be storms that come and I'm called to have peace in the middle of the storm. And have joy in the middle of the storm rather than having peace and joy by trying to get rid of the storm and wishing it wasn't there and saying, I'll be happy once I don't have this problem. We are called to be content and have joy in all things. So that's the key right there. Well, so, okay, with, you know, with expectation, because I was about to say, so, you know, our, our first problem here is faulty expectations. But then I thought, okay, maybe not though, because we want to increase expect. I don't want to have lower expectations. I don't want to teach my kids, hey, the you know the way to be happy is just lower those expectations, guys. I want them to have big expectations, but we're just missing that point. Have high expectations, and along with that, there will be trial. If you don't want the trial, then sure, lower your expectations. But if you want great things, so if we change that, but you're saying, let's go back to what you said, that right now the problem that your research is finding is we have expectations of good things. And without, without the, the trial, without the trial. And the second part is, and we then express discontent about it. So tell us about yeah. that. That's the outward act of now I'm going to, and give us the bullet points. Cause I'm thinking of, you know, criticism, griping, just the, yeah. the, the, the horrible programming that we do to ourselves. Yes. A good word actually. So one of the things that was fascinating as I was doing the work, um, for this particular devotional and this work on, okay, what does it look like to find joy no matter our circumstances, right? What is, how do you do that? Right. And looking at not only how do you do that, but what do you avoid? Like what's the, what are the things that sabotage that get in the way? And one of the elements that I saw throughout the neuroscience, the neurobiology, all the different psychology studies that have been done, the stuff that we have done over the years and our our research and our study, which now is, you know, 35,000 people, I guess, have participated in our in wow. our interviews and focus groups and surveys over the years. 
one of the common threads through all of that is that we sabotage how we feel and our perspectives and our joy without intending to, absolutely 100% do not intend to, and without realizing it, by expressing discontent. And one of the biggest, um, I hate to say this this way, one of the biggest untruths <laughs> that we've all bought into is something that everybody thinks is healthy. I, and I, I, I've talked about you here. That, <laughs> you're going to say venting. Venting. Yes. yes. So I, I literally, okay. So uh, a few months back, uh, last uh, fall. So it, you know, fall semester. Think of, think of what the fall of 2020 in the middle of pandemic was like for college students. Right. So a big uh, public university invited me to do a virtual event. Of course, it was virtual. Mm-hmm with their um, college students in order to talk about the mental health impacts of kindness, for example. And so we were, you know, talking on this virtual event and I asked all the students, you know, there were hundreds of students on this virtual platform. And I said, I want to do a little poll with all of you. Now you're talking about a bunch of 20 year olds, right? 20, 21 year olds. And and I said, I, I really want to do a little mini survey, a little poll here. If you were in a situation that was really making you unhappy with a class, say a professor was being very unfair to you, what would be the healthiest way to handle it? The way that would most make you feel better, yeah. basically, both most improve your mental health, et cetera. Is, would it be better to... Um, and I gave them several examples, but one of the examples was to let a little steam out of the kettle. Right. Right. Like, so that, so that it doesn't explode. Like, is that the healthiest? Cause 80, the, cause the opposite, yeah. or what I'm used to hearing is cause the opposite of that is stuffing, which, Correct. right. We which, think that's the opposite. Right. Okay. Right. Keep going. Yeah. That's, that's what we think is the opposite. So I gave several of those examples. 88% of the kids, kids, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. These college students. 88% of these college students said the healthiest, most productive approach that would most preserve their mental health would be the venting, would be talking to a friend, letting the steam out, getting it off their chest, you know, doing a little bit of complaining just to sort of get it to air it and get it out. That was and that is the way we tend to think is the healthy way of dealing with these issues. Right. And it turns out that is absolutely incorrect neurologically. And that when you look at what the neuroscientists have found when they study anger, for example, and, and it sounds like I've talked to you about this before, about like Brad Bushman at Ohio State. He did a huge study on what happens in our brains step by step as we express discontent. And it turns out that venting, the very <laughs> name venting was invented because it's the idea of venting steam out of a kettle. And he said, it's actually your brain handles it the opposite way. He said, the, what happens when you quote unquote vent, when you express discontent, is that it actually turns on and activates and speeds up this interconnected anger system in the brain. And so the better analogy is like that you're not that you're venting a little steam out of a kettle. Turns out it's completely wrong. The better analogy apparently is that you're turning up the heat under the pot. Hmm. 
and then you're turning it up and up whenever you express that discontent. And instead, when you can pause and not, you know, complain about the professor or whatever, and you're so mad, when you can pause and instead of verbally expressing that or typing it in a text or posting it really fast on social or whatever, if you can refrain and instead stop yourself and go, okay, what is it, this may be frustrating, what is it that's good about this situation? You know what? I'm a student at this amazing university. Yeah, I don't like this particular professor very much right now, but look at this stuff that I'm learning. I'm gonna have some good opportunities with this someday. Like take 10 seconds to do that. And what happens, it's as if you've not only not turned up the burner under the pot, you've taken the pot off the burner to begin with. You've taken it off. And as you start thinking about those positive things, it's like you've put the lid on the pot. It's now off the burner. The lid is on. What happens to all the steam? What happens to all that anger right. and that frustration? It just kind of goes away. Well, well, it's interesting. I think about my instant pot. So I, I'm a big user of the, you know, the yeah. new instant, these are the new crock pots, right? And it's funny because you've got the thing, you, you do some veggies and you put it on for one or two minutes as soon as it beeps, then you release that thing and it goes and just blows stuff everywhere. Yeah. Now my rice though, it says, you know, no, just let it, uh, I can't remember what the term is, but uh, naturally, yeah. you don't do let anything. Kinda... Yeah. So for, mm, for my, yeah. my brown rice, I think it cooks for 20 minutes and then releases by the time that I get to it usually and, and push the little knob, there's no pressure left. It's gone. Yeah. I don't know yeah. where it went. I didn't release it. It didn't <laughs> push through, but let me ask then Shanti, because I hear you. So here's a professor and it was a bad class or whatever. But you got people out here listening who are dealing with significant, let's go to relational hurt and pain. Or health hurt or, or, or health, yeah, yeah, something. Well, okay. And, and, I, and I felt remiss. I mentioned uh, somebody I had on the show talking about cancer. You're dealing with that now. <laughs> yes. That was something to discover right before Christmas. Oh, yeah. by the way, you have breast cancer. Yeah. Oh, okay. No family history. Total shock. Well, but okay. Let me use this as an example. Okay, perf this is a perfect example, actually, because let me tell you, you can <laughs> you can write and put out a book called Find Joy with all these elements for how you find joy in all circumstances. And then, oh, by the way, six weeks later, you have cancer. And it's like, okay, this is a guy, I'm going to apply this in a whole new way, right? And so there have been a couple of occasions, most, probably more than a couple, during this journey, because this has been about, what are we at now? Almost six months. Six months? Yeah. Yeah. Almost six months. And um, in this six-month period, there have been multiple of occasions where I've had some plenty of opportunities for meltdown and I've had plenty of opportunities for fear. And being triggered and having a little PTSD based on certain things. And I really felt like, okay, what is it that you learned that you've told everybody else to do <laughs> that would help you in this situation? Right. And, I, and I'll give you an example. So um, I have one of the things that anybody out there who is listening, who's ever had cancer or had a loved one who had cancer, one of the things you know intimately that I am just now learning is how twitchy you get. <laughs> when you hear something from the doctor about, well, we need to do another biopsy or, well, we need to do another test. And you instantly go, Ugh. and it, there's there's like a, a 
it's I hate to say it, it is this, a little bit of PTSD yeah. where you're like, I don't want to have another biopsy. And and for me, it's more about the pain and the invasiveness and just the stuff that comes along with it where it's like I find myself fearful. And in this sort of sense of is there something that you're supposed to be applying here that you've learned that you've told other people what could help and so i literally had to go through another biopsy in a completely different area where they were like oh gosh you know because you have cancer here that means it's you know there was an issue here and we need to do a biopsy and i was so worried about the pain and about the invasion, I kept talking about it. Like, I'm, I'm worried about it. I'm scared. I'm, you know, whatever. And gee, big surprise. Guess what happened? It started to loom larger and larger and larger in my mind and become more and more of a thing and steal my joy more and more, as we were just discussing. And there's nothing wrong with me doing something like tell my husband, I'm nervous. Like, I'm, well, what are you nervous about? Well, I'm not looking forward to the pain. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's in a context that is not venting for the almost the pleasure of going, you would not believe what I have to deal uh -huh. with, right? But also recognizing that when I am there in that procedure and there is that pain or discomfort or worry or whatever it is, I can be there going, you know what? Thank you, Lord, that we can do biopsies. Thank you that this is even an option. Yeah. Like, this is miraculous. The miracle of modern medicine. I am so grateful for this. So that's what I ended up doing through the course of this really unpleasant biopsy that I had to have. And you know what? It It's not like it takes away physical pain or whatever, but it changes your whole going into something and coming out of it. It really is. This is the way God has wired us you, you talk about the build you know you were fearful talking about that and it built it up my yeah. wife talks about awfulizing and it made me oh, think that's about a good word yeah the aspect I of like taking that. it and talking it and building onto it and awfulizing yeah but what to what you said so i've heard i think it was will bowen who did the book on uh complaining. I can't remember what the title is. I had him on the show and I think it was him, right? Unless it was you, but that said, you know, can you, can you explain not complain? So let me come back mm. to the fear. I like that a lot. Well, and you say, and so you were able to talk to your husband and say, Jeff, you know, I feel nervous. I feel, is there a place? So let's say you're experiencing, you just got a cancer diagnosis. You've just been betrayed by a friend or your spouse said they want a divorce. You know, let's take something really bad or there's going to be a yeah. death in the family or whatnot. This is something that we're not going to Pollyanna. You're not talking about that. And you feel pain. You feel terror, you know, fear, natural feelings. These are not wrong yeah. feelings. You feel this. No. Is there a place <clears throat> or can you... Oh, how would you say, is there a place to say, gosh, yeah, you don't have to stuff that. You can share that feeling of course. without, without what is it? Is that, is it fair to say without complaining, accusing, blaming, how would you define that? Well, if you, yes, there, there is a, there's a twofold thing. One in general, think about the reason you're doing it. What's your motivation? That's the key thing, right? For a lot of people who like, I'm complaining and, and 
this is a more minor thing than like, hey, you have cancer. But this is a more work a day. This is the kind of stuff that happens more often. Right. Yeah. Where if you're complaining about your spouse, something that they did again, <laughs> right? Something right. that drives you nuts or whatever, and they they keep doing it. There is almost when you like classic thing, you know, I'm sitting around with my girlfriends talking over whatever, you know, over dinner or coffee and somebody kind of rolls their eyes and starts, oh, well, you not believe what he did yesterday or what my kids did or whatever. You don't realize that when you chime in, you are chiming in for the pleasure <laughs> of saying, oh, you think that's bad? Let me tell you what happened in my house on yeah. Tuesday. And you don't realize the motivation there is like the is getting the oh you poor dear and oh and like you know the horror of whatever and it's there is a pleasure that comes from sharing that and so it is true that you can say yeah what happened yesterday was hard um and explain it without doing it for the pleasure of or the weird motivations behind it um, so it's all about the motivation, and it changes your tone. It changes everything. For me, talking to Jeff to get comfort, I'm so sorry, but you're going to have to go through that. I'll be praying for you when that's happening. That is a completely different thing from the, look what I have to deal with. You know, look what suffering I'm going to have to go through. Um, it's just a, it's very, it's a purposefully, if I could say it this way, trying in our stupid <laughs> human way to do something like that without being selfish about it and self-focused. Well, and I, so in being more aware of this as I'm striving to be, so I know yeah. this, I mean, my gosh, I, I host the Ziggler show, you know, and Zig has how many stories about this bad occurrence and how he wasn't going to let it control him and he was going to look for the yeah. bright, the bright side. We all know that. And yet I'll have this negative thing happened to me and just realize that innate propensity to share it, to text yeah. it, to yeah. tell the, you know, to come in and go, Hey, how was your day? Oh man, you can't. And I, and I, re so I, I'm, I, at least I've matured enough to realize that that's in me, but haven't really understood why. Cause then when I ask the question of what will it benefit, it won't benefit me. It's not going to benefit the person I'm talking to. If I want to inspire them and help their day and increase, you know, uh, raise their level of joy, it's not by sharing some crap. And if it's in regards to somebody else, my mm. thought is kind of back to the Toby Mac speak life. So I'm going to complain about yeah. this person. Where did, where do, what, yeah, what Jesus phrase do I, or verse <laughs> do I have to back that up? And yet realizing that there is this innate propensity to want to share that negative thing. And you're saying that there is a pleasure in that. There is. And listen, we are all human. And there is something about, we've, we've all heard the phrase that you have a burden when you share it, right? Like, you know, if you have a burden and two people take it rather than one, it's a shared burden. Okay. So you're sharing it in order to try to get help with it. There is nothing wrong with those situations. Like right now, I'm in the middle of a season, it's sort of a long story I can't really get into, but there's an, another sort of ministry leader in the marriage space that's really viciously attacking me. 
Mm. And um, and it's been a thing for quite a few months now where there's just a lot of misinformation that's being shared. You know, every now and then I get trolled on all of my social media and I wake up and I'm like, okay, I have 442 people who don't like me right this minute. And, you know, that can, and in today's environment, a lot of people have experienced that type of thing. It can get you down. And there is something about me and a couple of my team members who work with me um, or me and Jeff or me and a close friend. There's something about going, here's this thing that's happening and you're sharing it in order to share the burden, in order to have somebody else help you carry this. That is not a bad motivation at all. That's the point behind fellowship right? That's the point behind the Christian fellowship we're supposed to have with one another, because God knows we live in a difficult world. Again, the key is, what's the motivation? You know, if all you're doing is looking, if I'm, all I'm doing is looking to say how bad this other person is who's doing this, it's not, A, it's going to make it worse, it's going to make my mental health worse, because we all know now that venting is, for the sake of venting, is not working. It's just going to make me angrier, but if I am, and so if that's what I'm doing, then I have to come to a reckoning. If what I'm doing instead, though, is seeking somebody to speak life into me, give me some advice, yeah. share the burden, that's a completely different thing. Well, and that's what I'm playing with here because I can hear the conversation. Let's go back to like the phone scenario or scene and it's getting on there going, oh my gosh, you can't believe what Betty did today. And yada, yada, yada. you can hear the spirit. I mean, you can hear the tone. We all know that it's what's depicted yeah. on the sitcoms that we watch and, and movies and stuff. You go and you complain as opposed to me saying, let's say I'm coming to my wife and saying, man, I, I really am struggling with feeling hurt by this interaction I have with my kid or a partner or a, you know, yeah. a, a vendor or whatever, can you help me process this? But then, the, but I'm still thinking about you with the motive process this. Why? So that I can come to peace, find life. Exactly. In this. Yes. Okay. And, and true peace. And that's where we've bought into this circling all the way back. That's where we've bought into this untruth that what will bring me to peace is the right, right, right. It's yeah. venting, right? It's not going to. It's just going to make it worse. But if we are doing this for a motive that is, I'm, I'm, I'm really truly wanting to be the person that God wants me to be here. I'm really truly needing support and advice and help in order to handle this well rather than poorly. That is a completely different thing. And the key with all of this, by the way, Kevin, what I've seen with all of the research about finding joy in difficult situations is it requires being really honest with yourself in a lot of these situations and sort of, okay, buckle up, buttercup. Like you just, you kind of have to be willing to say, you know what, I, I kind of just wanted to complain there because I wanted to complain. <laughs> the, and I wasn't, I wasn't trying to do any health, anything healthy and I probably shouldn't have. Well, the, I, I'm thinking about the awareness, you know, just being, I come back to that so often of the power and yet the struggle of just being aware of myself. My wife called me out the other night. I was kind of, you know, teasing with the kids. I think we were playing a game and I, I didn't realize I'm doing this. Apparently I'll, they'll, you know, say something and I'll say, Oh, sh you know, shut up. I'm literally saying that word. 
didn't not conscious of it at all. And she said, Hey, you, you say that a lot. Maybe don't do that with the kids. And not that long, it comes out again. Like, oh, doggone it. Sure enough. Yeah. I mean, so, oh, and we're yeah. doing it and jesting and everybody's laughing and stuff, but it's not a life giving statement. And right. yet becoming aware of that. I, I'm back on your initial statement here, Shanti. And it feels like, I mean, obviously we can take what we've just talked about and say with any negative feeling to take that captive, to audit our emotions and, and to curb our expressing how we're expressing that is, is one thing, but we can help lessen that by also having appropriate expectations. Correct. Those are, it's kind of, those are starting points. Those are, that is a, a crucial, if you're, it's not the ending point, because there's a lot that you can do to bring yourself to finding joy in yeah. a crazy world like this. But those are really important starting points. And having the expectations of, you know what, my goal here is I'm going to be to finding joy in the storms of life, knowing that there are going to be. Yeah. That's a great starting point. Well, and I do want to point out to your find joy devotional, you break it out into eight segments of ways to, and I'm going to say in this, you know, to manage expectations and to be aware of yourself, things like living in awe and practicing gratitude and forgiveness and, you know, incredible pieces there. You wrote a blog though, mm-hmm. I think pretty recently on psychological flexibility. Now yeah. I've been you know, for how my, so my wife works in that field as well with cognitive training and, oh, and, interesting. and, uh, she works along her partners are, are, uh, uh, neuroscientists and whatnot. And so we talk a lot lately about, uh, neuroplasticity. Uh, mm-hmm. so I, I, I think about that, but you're framing it in a different light with psychological flexibility. And you actually listed out psychologically flexible people tend to have these dynamics, psychologically inflexible tend to have one or all of these dynamics. And my first thought, I kind of went back to Carol Dweck with a fixed or growth mindset to some degree. And I could see some aspects of this, but talk about that, about the being psychologically, I guess the dynamics tendencies of those who are and which we would all want to be psychologically flexible. You know, the easiest way of saying this, and this was all based on a big study that okay. was done. It, there, I, I should explain, there was a big study that was done over the course of many years where they looked at all different studies of human thriving and great marriages. And they were basically, there was hundreds and hundreds of studies. They did some metadata on looking at all of them. And what were some of the main factors they were trying to identify? What were the main factors um, that lent that people to having, for example, a fantastic marriage or a happy life. Like what were, what were those things? And so one of the factors that was one of the top things that they found across all of them was what they call psychological flexibility. Hmm. And it's basically rolling with the punches that, Hmm. I mean, colloquially, that's basically what it is. It's, it is somebody who basically says, yeah, you know, this is, there's going to be uncomfortable things that come. It's kind of that expectations thing. There's going to be these uncomfortable things that happen and um, I'm going to be okay with it. And I'm not going to get stuck on this little picture of what's happening now. You know, like, for example, for me with this uh, other person in the sort of the marriage space who's unhappy with me and is 
regularly talking about me publicly and saying things I don't think are true. And I could get really <laughs> obsessed mm -hmm. over, over that. And I could be watching her social media and her blog and what uh, she's saying about me on the podcast. I, I do want to, I do want to hit on that Shanti. Cause you're talking about, we're at a time. I feel like at least that's what we're seeing out in the media of a time of, if there is an injustice, you, you vent to the world and it's a headline. Yeah. And now we have headlines that are no longer news. They are venting opinion. And that's the <laughs> headlines today, the fake news. And we all yep. know that, but yep. we're awash in this. So yeah. you're talking about what you feel like here's somebody and it's an injustice and the culture would say it's, it is your right to doggone it. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Okay. But, but what we found and what the, these scientists found and what we found in our research is focusing on it. Ain't going to make you happier. It's not going to bring you joy. It, what it is going to do is make you crazier. And that's one of the things with psychological flexibility is they found it, Part of rolling with the punches was being able to pull back, not get obsessed over this little, whatever this thing was going on, even if it's a big thing. Like this for me, this was a big thing. Yeah. But to not get obsessed about it and sort of down in the details of it and take a big picture view. One of, we haven't gotten a, had a chance to get into it, but one of the things that we found and put in the devotional about not just, ex, you know, sort of having the right expectations, but how do you actually pursue joy? How, what does that look like is practicing gratitude. Mm. And that's what I was alluding to, for example, when I was talking about the biopsy. What's the big picture here of, well, thank you, God, that we actually can, I can do this biopsy to begin with, right? And that's pulling back from getting focused on and obsessing over this little picture thing that's happening, even though it's a big deal, and going, what's the bigger picture? Have that big picture mentality and have one of gratitude, especially we found. But that's what these scientists said, for example, is a huge piece that is not done by people who are not psychologically flexible. Those people, they get trapped yeah. by the focusing on this injustice, by focusing on this thing, by focusing on the what's going wrong. Completely understandably, right? And yet, if we want that thriving life, that that is something we have to learn. It, I mean, it just has to has to be learned. I will tell you something that I don't think was in this particular article, but that I wrote in another one fairly recently. So I was looking at I had to go through radiation for um, the breast cancer. And I was looking at all, <laughs> I'm a researcher, I can't help myself, Kevin. I was looking at all the different options and sure. all the different studies about, you know, what would, what would come from this one versus that one. I'm quite sure my oncologists were rolling their <laughs> eyes, but I just, I, I really wanted to know. Yeah. And, and one of the studies that I found absolutely floored me because I was trying to get a sense for how much fatigue I could expect from the radiation because mm -hmm. that's a thing, Right when you're going through radiation, because most people don't know, you go every single day for weeks and weeks wow. and weeks. It's not like, oh yeah, here, there. No, it's like you are literally going to the hospital every day for four weeks or six weeks or whatever it is. I wanted to know how much fatigue to expect. Well, it turns out that the people who have fatigue and have it over a longer period of time 
which is, you know, systemic exhaustion, physical. This is not mental, right? This is physical exhaustion. It turns out they looked at all the different factors that somebody could have in life that could lead to radiation fatigue. And it was things like, you know, whether they had chemo as well and whether they had pre-existing conditions. Like it was all this stuff they looked at. They only found two factors that predicted how much and how long your fatigue would go. One was actually a physical thing. It was obesity because it's related to the level of estrogen in your body and that kind of thing. But the, the main factor was whether you were catastrophizing, as wow. your wife says, whether you were awfulizing right. it. And if you were like, oh, my gosh, this is so bad, you went longer and longer and longer on your fatigue. Literally, whether you have an attitude of, okay, we'll pull back. Big picture. I can get through this. I'm grateful that I have the chance to do it. If you were able to pull back your physical fatigue, measurable fatigue was far less than if you remained fixated on how bad it was feeling right now. That was astounding that that attitude changed something physically far more than things like if you're going through chemotherapy or if you had other pre-existing conditions. That's significant. So what's of interest, this is episode, I believe this will be episode 901. Episode 899, which will have happened prior to this, uh, was with Joy Clausen uh, Soto. And she has a book called Joy uh, as well, actually. But it's huh. about her being a cancer survivor and what she's doing in that space. But she shared, well, I think it was in the show and not just with me personally, but uh, maybe it's in the book. But she shared that she sat down, I think it was for her first chemo treatment, and the nurse, doctor, whatever, just said, you're, you're going to do really well with this. And she said, well, how can you tell? Because you're sitting here smiling and laughing with me. Mm. And the difference that you'll experience, that, that this nurse, I think it was, had experienced, is that as opposed to the kid who comes in, kids in this instance, comes in and is overwhelmed and is yeah. curled up in the fetal position, we can tell how they are going to deal with it. Coming so timely, timely for you to bring that up, how powerful that is. Okay. So back to that psychologically flexible, flexible people. Person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, and I want to, you gave three dynamics. They tend to not get triggered. You have in quotes by unwanted feelings and situations. They generally keep a bigger picture mentality, which you talked about, and they try to meet those challenges head, head on. on. Yep. Okay. It's, it is easy. One of the things, and I alluded to it earlier, one of the things that it is very easy and natural, understandable to do is to avoid. Yeah. Right. It like put it off, avoid it, you know, whatever it, it, it is a, that's just going to keep it hanging <laughs> out there. And instead it is crucial according to the study. And in some of the things actually that we've seen in our work for find joy, it's really important to be able to sort of say, I'm going to address this. And then I'm going to trust again, like from a faith-based perspective that God has it. I'm not going to get all wrapped up in the details, but I am going to address it. I'm going to do what I can do. That seems a healthy version of this and then, um, move on. Okay. I I want to pull that one out, Shanti. So to be candid, so you've got three things there. They tend not to be too triggered by unwanted feelings and situations. So I look at that one and go, check, I'm pretty good there. They generally keep a bigger picture mentality. Think check, pretty good there. They try to meet those challenges head on. 
Okay. <laughs> Stepping on my toes. Cause now I'm going to go to, by contrast, those that are psychologically inflexible tend to have one of, or all of these dynamics. They get wrapped up in something that's worrying or frustrating them. I'm pretty good there. They avoid conflict. Not good there. And then the last one, they try to control everything. I'm a lot better. I used to, well, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm always on the spectrum there, but I think I'm better. But those, they meet challenges head on, flexible. They avoid conflict, inflexible. Uh, so th that's an issue for me. I mean, bottom yeah. line, my, my family would tell you that. My business partners would tell you that, that I'll tend to put, especially if it's relational conflict, I'll put that off. I Man, I don't like any kind of conflict. So if it's a, you know, a financial issue or taxes, I mean, who wants to do that? It's conflict to me. But uh, especially relational, I, that's a struggle for me uh, in those two areas. So that's a key one. So to that, looking at, can we say that this is not a, as my, my partner and co-host on the true life show says, we're all on the spectrum of everything. So here we have psychological flexibility. Yeah. We're all on the spectrum. You're not going to say, Oh, this person totally flexible. This person, inflexible. you're one or the other. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're, there's going to be a big long, most of us are somewhere in the middle, washing back and forth. Okay. Sometimes we handle it well. Sometimes we don't, but I will tell you, I used to be like a huge conflict avoider and I actually over over time, it's sort of a long story, but over time, I actually realized something that switched it in my view, okay. which is, it's actually a statement that I think it comes from Dave Ramsey or something, but he said something that clicked it where he said, you know, if to be unclear yeah. about something is to be unkind. Because when you're avoiding something that needs to be addressed, if you think about it, it's actually kind of selfish. And not being kind to this other person who needs to know what you're thinking. Okay, now you're going and searching yourselves. Because uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're talking, I'm, I'm, I, that's the thing. I get to be, I get free counseling out of these shows. That's why I really there do it. Go. And it's so awesome. I've got an upcoming show with, now we've all, the, the term, who wrote the original book, Boundaries? Was it? Uh, cloud, cloud. cloud? Okay. Right? Well, this is a new one. Nedra Glover uh, Tawab, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. So she's going to be on the show. Book's selling really well. I really like the way that she outlined it. And in this aspect of conflict, you know, so why do I avoid conflict? Well, it's kind of, you know, protect me, right? Yeah. And what I found, that's part of my story that's long. What I found, though, is you do that long enough. And what I've done is create even worse results yeah. from that. And I regret that to, to such a great degree, but I, you know, how do you know you feel like you're protecting and instead you're creating this yeah. monster? Well, and I used to too, right? Like that's what I was saying. This used to be so me. And the thing that's really cool is that if you, and, and you've, I'm sure seen this many times with other things is that when you've been handling something in a way that maybe wasn't as healthy and then you change and you handle it in a different way that's maybe more healthy or more mature or whatever. Suddenly, usually things like go better <laughs> and you're, you're positively incented to, <laughs> to, keep, to keep doing it. Like, okay, that maybe that was a hard conversation in some ways, but wow, like see how much better it's turned out since then. It's kind of the, the idea of if you've ever had to fire someone and it's just not working and you just didn't want to fire them because you don't want to hurt their feelings and they've got a family to support and, you know, yeah. but it's just keeping constantly this open wound, constantly open and having to be a really difficult situation for everybody, including them. Right. It is far more kind 
to release them to something that they will be better at. They will have a happier life. They will not be constantly feeling like they're disappointing everybody. And you'll get what you need as well. It's like a win-win. So then you're incented to go, wow, I should have done that months before. And I do want people to know if you go to Shanti Feldhahn, and I'll have given that in the intro, give the uh, URL again, the .com, and go to your blog. I think it's, well, as of this recording, it's right there, but you'll find it. Psycholo- Actually, if they probably just type in your name and Psychologically Flexible, they'll come up to the blog mm-hmm. and you can read more about this. But I do want to come back to the issue you're talking about where you're... I'm going, to call, I'm going to call it an injustice. You've got somebody who is expressing their discontent about you. And, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Okay. Yes. And you're saying focusing on it won't help. You don't need to be obsessed. You need to take this nope. big, big picture view. But, and now I'm going to reference your kindness challenge. You're not saying don't, well, back to this. You're not, you're not saying don't deal with it. Because there are those times when, I mean, there may be right. something you can let go, but there may be something. No, you still have to address it. And let's go to a relational yeah. thing, especially if it's a, a spouse issue or a coworker or whatever. Yeah. You're not saying don't address it, walk away, ignore mm-hmm. it, and just be Pollyanna and sing happy tunes. No, um, there's two things there. One is you have to, you have to understand what the situation is. And I mean, obviously there's tons that like, if it's your spouse, if it's something in your life with your kids, I mean, of course you have to deal with it. Like how you deal with it may be different, but if it's something that is a big picture, what you view as something that's coming against you it could be like this situation where you're being attacked you think there's some injustice happening people are talking about you behind your back your boss didn't handle something well what you know those kinds of things or um it could be like okay again like you had a health situation or you know suddenly your car breaks down and you have to come up with twelve hundred dollars out of nowhere all of this stuff is gonna happen like it is. And that's part of the psychological flexibility is just instead of getting triggered by that and going, oh, my gosh, again, it's so bad. Awfulizing. I've got to use that word from now on. It's just such a good word. Okay. Awfulizing it um, in, and focusing in on it. That's where you pull back. And that's where you are able to look at the big picture. It is really easy to get stuck on the where am I supposed to come up with $1,200 for a car? Like, it's really easy to get stuck on that and not realize, but wait, yeah, that's a hard thing right now. I'm going to have to figure it out. But, oh, my gosh, look at all these other things that I have to be grateful for. And I've got this great family. and I've got a friend who's offered to drive me to the to the mechanics and, you know, whatever, whatever that is. And, by the way, that leads to the second thing, which is – I've said this before. I'll say it again. A big part of finding joy – really truly is looking for something to be grateful for Hmm. in the middle of that. And that, by the way, Kevin, can I challenge you on something you've said a couple of times? Please. In this podcast? Yeah. You've talked about I'm not being Pollyanna-ish. And we all say that, right? Like, because we think of that as being unreasonably, I don't know, pie in the sky. Yeah. Happy, happy Uh, or whatever. Denial even, yeah. Yeah, denial, right. And, and it actually is really interesting because when I eventually, I'm like, I need to figure out what Pollyanna actually is. Like I had, you know, I went and read the book. It's a little book from many, many years ago, hundred years ago or whatever. It's actually about a girl who completely transformed her community because she had learned 
to find joy and be glad in all circumstances. Wow. And it is about how she had learned to look for things to be grateful for, no matter what was going on in her life, and then how she had to actually confront some difficulties that made it very hard for her. And what happened, because all the people she had changed came and supported her. And it was, it's an astounding little book. And I realized we think being Pollyanna-ish is denial because there's a sense and a feeling and maybe in our culture that you can't find joy in all right. circumstances. That's not possible. And again, as a person of faith, I think it's very possible and that we're called to do that. And so I realized I have to stop saying be Pollyanna-ish. Well, you're, <laughs> because we're all supposed to you're be calling me Pollyanna-ish. To the, you're calling me to the table on that. I lo- but let me ask, so if we go back to that aspect of venting and we tend to think the opposite of that is stuffing and you're saying, mm-hmm. no, there's another option because that was the, it has been my perspective of the Pollyanna type thing is that you just are stuffing or denying something that's very real. And then over here, and I want to speak to that person who this thing is, something's going to happen and you're going to feel the very real emotion and feeling of pain and that is legitimate and that's okay. And it's not bad, but because what you just said is finding joy. You didn't say don't feel the pain or deny the pain. What's well, a big it's a, it's a huge shift and it changes everything. I mean, it changes everything. To to feel the fear and the worry, you have breast cancer. Oh, yeah, a fatal disease. Good to know. Cuz cuz the Pollyanna thing would would, would have you going, yeah. I got breast cancer. That's awesome. Well, no it's not. It's not so, in any way yeah. shape or form is that awesome. This, it's, it's suddenly, it's a difficult thing. Suddenly my kids are worried about me. Like there's all this, all these impacts on our organization and we're starting a big research project. And how do you do that? And surgery and radiation at the same time. Like there's blah, like it's, it's crazy. And yet there is, even though you're not denying any of that reality, any of that being, okay, that's a challenge. That's a storm, like an actual storm in your life. At the same time, I can be living and am called to live and told to live and equipped to live in a sense of wonder and joy, even when all this is going on. You can have both at the same time. Okay. Okay. So I do, want, and I'm going to shamelessly promote the book here, though, if it's not your book, it's something though, because none of us are going to hear this. If we want to embrace this aspect of joy, none of us are going to hear this show, this episode, hear your message and just right away make a uh, hundred eight. I mean, that'd be great. You know, God can do anything 180 degree shift because the book here, and I'm going to say, I'm going to, uh, you know, advocate the book is the training for that. Yes, correct. Is the, hey, here, the yeah, yes. here are the ways to day in and day out be training yourself to have that ability. Because if I say, if, if this was a show on running and you just convinced me that I'll be happier if I run a marathon, I'm not going to go out tomorrow and just run a marathon. I'm going to get shin splints and blow out my knees and whatnot. <laughs> I'm going to have to start running a mile and then two miles and start training yeah. myself for it. So I want to give that to people so that you don't fail with it. And this is a resource. And I, you know, so there's, there may be, other, if you got another resource out there for training yourself, enjoy great. But this is one where it's a daily devotional of different aspects. And again, you've got, you segment this out into eight different categories of these are 
tangible ways that we can be, let's say, working out, training, programming ourselves to be able to find the joy in that moment when real pain, real trial, uh, real tragedy even happens. Or, you know what? I did want to say that though, because we talked a lot about that, that I appreciate Tom Ziegler. And I think he's referencing his dad, Zig, of saying some study that went on and say, you know, the earthquakes and tsunamis and uh, tornadoes get all the attention on a you know yearly basis for the destruction they cause. But on any given year, termites cause much more destruction. We just don't talk about those because they're little. Uh-huh. And, yeah. and on this aspect, when I think of expressing discontent, the discontent that I hear from people in the culture for the most part is not to a tragedy or something awful. It's to the little shit. Exactly. The innocuous, the gossip that I, I feel slighted by that person. That was irritating. That's frustrating. I'm going to do it when somebody is driving in the left lane, very slow, God bless them. And I need to find some joy in that. Uh, so the, the yeah. Yes. As we would say in the South, bless your heart. Bless your, <laughs> bless your heart. I hope your car explodes. Yeah, I need to not express my discontent. There you go. And Zig would say, find some time to listen to a podcast and learn something. Uh, yeah. Shanti, this, I, again, it's, that's why I wanted to have you on here and have this discussion. It's so, it feels this, this focus on joy feels very similar to the focus of kindness with you, that this is, you're not talking, this isn't an opinion. This is research you've done. This is, this is brain training. This is how the, yeah, as you said, this is, this is neurology. This is how yeah. we work. This is how we can work better. And I think everybody here wants to work better. Thank you. Thanks for the time you've Thanks done. So Thank you for uh, sharing your story on this and taking the time to be with us today. Friends, this is a show really to listen to again and to share with those close to you as you all packed together to manage your expectations and stop, as Shanti said, expressing our discontent. Again, you can connect more with Shanti at Shanti.com. That's S-H-A-U-N-T-I.com. Coming up in episode 902, we surveyed listeners on their good and bad relationships at work and how it affects their work. Tom Ziegler and I broadened the scope to address the power and necessity of our workplace being a place of inspiration from the relationships, personal relationships to our office space even. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.